Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. I'm your host, Scott Colnut, and with me today is Mike Bander, co-founder at waybook.com, Hopper HQ, and founding partner at Turn Partners. And we're going to be discussing what happens inside a startup studio. And this is a question I asked myself. Um, I saw an email come in from Mike's team discussing their life at Turn Partners and everything that happens at a startup studio. And I thought to myself, well, I don't even know what a startup studio is. I can hazard a guess. I'm pretty certain I'd get it reasonably accurate, but I still want to know what happens behind the scenes. It sounds like an exciting environment. It sounds like something I want to be part of. And it sounds like something that would be an interesting story to share with our listeners. So welcome to the podcast, Mike. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem. Do you want to take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners and feel free to share any personal goals you have in business or marketing or any company mission statements that drive your work at all of those businesses that I've just referenced? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, great, great to be here and, and, and uh, really talk about something that we, we don't talk about term partners that much, to be honest with you, because what's interesting is term partners is the kind of parent company, the startup studio, but we're always talking to and with other people about the individual businesses so it's quite nice to take a step back and and mm. figure it out for ourselves um but as a, by way of introduction my name's mike um i uh i'm, I'm one of the co-founders of, of term partners as you said but we are basically the startup studio based out of london but we're a semi-remote distributed team uh we're an entirely bootstrapped group of companies which adds a really interesting element to everything that we do I'm based here in London, but we do a, we, we we travel quite a lot. Obviously, pre-COVID, and that's now opening back up. So we we have team split all across the um, UK, Ireland, Philippines, Russia, India, Latvia, all sorts of LATAM, um, and essentially 
in terms of goals, in terms of what 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 I want to do is my personal goal is I want to have a positive impact to more people in more places than I'd ever be able to go. And and really, I believe that that entrepreneurship and enterprise is is the way for that. You know, some some people are great artists, some people are great mathematicians and builders, and I was blessed to be useless at everything <laughs> apart from apart from kind of what i consider as the logic of 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 entrepreneurship so um that's kind of that's kind of my personal driving force and and really that runs through into what we aim to do with intern partners we're, we're fundamentally about um creating digital businesses that are are essentially enabling people to do their business better so we're, we're largely focused on digital b2b solutions that help people um have find efficiency in their work. We look, we, we focus a lot on the future of work and basically making sure that um, people can unlock and, and, and empower themselves, their communities and everything around through entrepreneurship and through their businesses. Help as many people in as many places as possible is a really interesting thought because in marketing and just when you work on in any online related business, maybe you have like these moments maybe once or twice a year where you're like thank god for the internet thank god that i get to kind of work from anywhere and i've and i was just really thinking about the reach there as you were talking and mm-hmm. i just taken a moment to really appreciate the reach of the work because you know how lucky are we to be alive in an age where we can apply our skills do you ever wonder to, your, wonder to yourself what would you be doing if there wasn't the internet and you didn't have the ability to reach that many people what would your goal uh, I, be? I, yeah, I, I couldn't. I couldn't even. I couldn't even imagine. I, I, on my carbon footprint would probably be more. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> uh, and and yeah, it's it's, it's how, how, like so. So my thing is have a positive impact to more people in more places, and, mm. and that's super, uh, super varied and super broad. But actually, you're you're absolutely right. I think technology in general and and, and the internet enables us to have such a big, you know, kind of ripple effects on everything we do. Obviously, marketing is just. Is, is, is the most obvious version of that because we can just in an instant get to, to millions of people. But uh, there is a fundamental difference between marketing and, and actually the value you can create to people. And, and we, we do that for our businesses in, in, in all different sorts of ways. Um, but yeah, you're totally right. It's all, it's, we're, we're so blessed to be in that, to, to, to be in that wide reaching um, and, and kind of fast changing environment as well. I mean, we, I don't know how, how old you are, Scott, but I, um, remember like taking out my first Hotmail account on a dial up connection. And, and that was, that was novel and wild at the time. And I was like, wow, what is, you know, this is going to be an exciting thing. Uh, and then, yeah it's changed every day so that's the uh, that's the gratitude journal tick for today <laughs> is the yeah book. that's it I'm, I'm writing on that line, yeah. <laughs> and, and so on on my as i was talking in the intro there i said i asked myself what is a startup studio could you maybe just talk through your definition is there a widely accepted definition of what a startup startup studio is what is it to you yeah, I mean, I uh, as as you were asking that question, I I thought, yeah, what is a startup studio? And, and then I'm instantly thinking, I'm sure my definition definition of it will be wildly different to other people's. So I can just tell you what ours is. Sure. Uh, f- firstly, we didn't we didn't um, look up a startup studio in in a, a business book and say let's do that business. We sort of made it up 
and and I'm not saying we created it because I know there's loads of other people that do the similar thing and, and call it similar things. But Startup Studio, you you said that you can pretty much figure out what it is, and that's basically we called it what we thought it was. Mm. It's 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 pretty much a. Uh, fundamentally it's it's me and my business partner james and and our kind of core core group of team that are some people are generalists some people are are kind of really specific like experts in, in what they do and and we largely just focus on creating creating value we largely just focus on creating scalable high impact businesses um that that actually we can we can execute on um, so we within the startup studio will either um, acquire or build digital businesses. On the acquisition front, we largely ask ourselves the question of what can we do better than the founding team and does that fit with our resources and our interests and our direction of travel? Does it work well with the other companies we're working with at the time? And then on the on the um, uh, the, the kind of creation side, we really look at what are our where do we see the world going? What problems do we want to solve? How can we have a have an impact? And then also we do pair that with what can we what can we really do exceptionally well with our knowledge, our skills, our resources, knowing that we're always going to be growing and developing. But actually, what what can we what, what can we do really well? So so essentially, a startup studio is just a, almost like a labs department that you see in some some corporates. It's a venture builder in some other in some other businesses. Um, although when we first started talking about this kind of seven seven years ago, uh, well eight years ago now, a lot of people were like, "Oh, so like private equity then?" And, mm-hmm. and we we sort of we sort of just went with that for a little bit of time, but but really it's not. It's really not. It's it's. I, I think the acquisition side makes it look and feel a bit like let's call it nano private equity. It's not mm. even you know private equity, but but also uh, I, I think if we're fully honest. Um, James and I really just wanted to do great stuff, and we didn't know what the best <laughs> the best vehicle was for that. So, so it became a startup studio, and then that sort of like develops and changes and, and maintains focus as as we go. And for the benefit of the listeners, who's James? Sorry, yeah, James Vardy is my my co founder in in um, Turn Partners and, and and across all of the businesses as well. And we'll get to breaking down the team a little bit more in a moment, but. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting as you descri- describe the startup studio environment there because it feels very modern to me. And uh, the, I think the interesting component about what you do is both the acquisition and the build side. And I think mm. that's maybe what throws people is that it's – I remember reading somewhere in my notes or maybe it was on your website about like a a lean startup approach to what you do. Mm. And so it speaks to that and it speaks to the iterative – improvement approach of what it's like to be in product management so there's loads i'm going to break down there in a moment but i think it's just an interesting component that you both acquire and build businesses um and actually maybe just telling that story from the beginning for me so uh, you mentioned your business partner there james have Mm -hmm. you worked with him from the start tell me the story from the beginning when did you decide to build turn partners as the parent company and maybe the timeline of when some of these key businesses started to become part of time partners. Yeah, sure. So um, James and I had both previously run businesses before. Um, we we actually met in 2011 mm-hmm. on a, a learning and development program called the New Entrepreneurs Foundation. Uh, it's now called Center for Entrepreneurs. And really, this was like a 12-month training program for, for entrepreneurs. There was 25 people on, on the program. 
and it was it was a fun, absolutely phenomenal experience. We, we all had a placement in a fast growth um, business, so I was in a, a the uh, head of new business for a, for a scaling ad agency. James was at Seatwave, but then you also get really fantastic training with you know negotiation by the people that train all of the European kind of members of parliament and you know resilience training from Tesco's and finance training from uh, Deloitte and, and all sorts um, and you also get exposure to just really incredible business leaders and and really this program we were so so incredibly lucky to be a part of this cohort and community that that really is just interested in unpicking business ideas and figuring stuff out and and what that did for me personally is actually enabled me to think much bigger i think previously i'd run a paintball company i'd run um you know a few different uh, i was a bit of a dell boy so i'd buy and sell different bits and do all do all sorts um and actually that was that was sort of what business was to me at that time but the new entrepreneurs foundation enabled me to have that from a global perspective and, and really really kind of widen out my ambition going through that experience together with james we both sort of just started working on ideas and we were drawn to each other because we we were fundamentally aligned from an ethos perspective mm-hmm. so we we are morally and ethically very aligned but also we wanted to run the business for the same reason we wanted to actually build a phenomenal culture we wanted to build products uh, that we had pride in and you know, the most exciting thing that happens to us is when we see and hear our products being talked about um, when when we've not put them that, you know, we, we've not told people, oh, you know, we run Hopper, we run Waybook, and people are like, oh, I know them. It's more like, oh, I use this great tool, and it's waybook.com. And we're that, you know, that is, for us, that's fuel. That's why we do this. Um, so, so actually, this experience meant that James and I almost started by playing with different business ideas um and we decided that we would sort of start a business together we were working on a few different things and then the opportunity to buy a business came up um and and that was our that was our dating business and it was at that point where james and i'd realized we'd we'd start both started a business and what we were really interested in is um you know that next step that next Going from you know a, a team of five to a team of twenty five, you know, and that that was the thing we hadn't done at the time. So so yeah, we we acquired this dating site, and uh, and and that was our initial turnaround. But because we didn't want to be in dating all the time, it was it was quite an opportunity led thing, and what we were interested in at the point. We then said, you know, instead of buying the dating business and running the dating business, why don't we put this within a structure? That is then enables us to think wider and think, you know, not not transactional from the dating business perspective, but enable us to really be the the, the founding step for us in in terms of building something bigger and building something greater. Um, so yeah, so we acquired the dating business, and then then I'm sure we'll go into the specifics of of how we then um, got to the point where. Our dating business was was great. Like we we were we were growing. We'd really we'd really done a good job of rebranding this. We'd rebuilt the product. It was it was it was pretty well known within the space. And and actually, we 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 wanted a little bit more because actually, even though dating fundamentally is quite an amazing amazing product and service to run. You know, the, the product is basic, but what you're giving people is is that connection and those experiences. We we always had more 
focus on this B2B and future of work. So we then realized that because we're, we're pretty process driven, everything was processed, everything was delegated. We were able to grow at pretty much the same rate outside of the business as as the business could grow with us in you know we, we would we'd take a couple of percentage points a month growth away with without our time but we were then excited that we then had a hundred percent of our time and resource to then look for the next thing and that's that's where we came on to uh onto hopper hq which was our, our next business okay uh, let's break some i'd love to break down some of that early part of the story then so um i'm thinking back what year were we talking when you acquired the dating business then 2012 ish that was, tw- yeah, 2013. That, 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 yeah, sort of. And at that point, you've mentioned in the intro there that you've got some entrepreneurial experience, as has James. Uh, the first question that comes to mind for me is why dating? That seems like an incredibly difficult world to get into. Uh, I'm yeah. just curious about what that's a, a, just an interesting place to start. I speak to quite a lot of people that are like, so I'm thinking of starting a dating site and I'm, my first thing is, please don't. Yeah. For you, don't do it. Um, it, it, was, it was opportunity-led, Scott. So, yeah. so we, um, yeah, we, we were actually launching a fitness supplement company by subscription. Um, uh, and this was when Grey's Box and, you know, Love Film and everything was yeah. becoming huge. And, and we, we, we loved the subscription model. We loved the product. So, so we were doing uh, protein supplements by subscription. It wasn't quite working. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, I was also doing a bit of consulting on the side and, and I met somebody who asked me to do some consultancy for, for them producing a commercial model for, for a new business. Yeah. And I found out that actually she owned this dating site that she'd sort of just fallen out of love with. Right. Um, and, and as soon as I left that first conversation, I called James and I was like, do you want to go into dating? I think, I think there's something exciting here. So it was, it was purely opportunity led. And one thing that we're very, we're very excited about that you don't often hear being discussed in entrepreneurship is something called um, effectual thinking and this essentially is is the the process of early stage idea generation and decision making where you look at um look at what you have and who you are and what you know and 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 you kind of you, you then move to the next logical step as well as heading in a direction that you want to head in rather than saying Okay, we we want to start. Okay, let me wind back. Wavebook.com is is basically our dream business, right? It, it has absolutely everything for us. We love it. We do. It's just amazing. But I don't think that we would have been able to have started Wavebook and got it to where it is today if we'd have started it back into 2013. Mm. But I do think that our conviction and ability to execute on turning around our dating business back in 2013 was for us maybe maybe ignorantly it was almost a certainty for us we we could look at it we knew what design things to change we knew how to manage the marketing we knew how to do bits that we had already executed on so it was a bit of a no-brainer for us to take that small leap and put us in an entirely different situation that then meant we were able to see other opportunities to go to the next thing and the next thing mm-hmm. and, I, and i feel like this this concept of effectual thinking where you start from who you are, what you know, who you know, and you allow these goals and opportunities to emerge over time is, is a way of entrepreneurship that actually falls entirely out of what we see on Dragon's Den and The Apprentice and here when people like raise £10 billion and all of this sort mm-hmm. of stuff. It's, 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 it's very much akin to the, to the bootstrap mindset. But, but, it's, but it actually gives you so much more control in terms of what you do. And it also means that you then don't have to become a product 
of the first business you start. It means that you just start and then you allow those goals and, and, and opportunities to emerge over time. Now, that may be within one business, but for us, it ended up in, in multiple businesses. And that's what Term Partners as a structure facilitated. Mm. Yeah, it strikes me as very fluid. And, and as I said, it speaks to the lean startup mindset of being Absolutely. very iterative as well. Um, so I, I understand that part. That, uh, a, a part that I'm trying to piece together, though, is um, so I've understood then the attractiveness of maybe launching a, or acquiring a dating site. Uh, and interestingly, as I think this through, um, I assume the business model of a dating site or that dating site was similar to what a software as a service company is in that people may may pay for advanced profiles or something like that or a premium yeah, membership. Exactly that. Yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. That, yeah. So I'm assuming that's what attracted you to that kind of business model as well. That's kind of SaaS mindset. Absolutely. And, and so, so, I mean, the one thing, one of the things that really attracted us to it is, is the dating business had a, a real fundamental, a good following, a good set of users. It was, it was profitable, but they didn't do recurring billing. Yeah. And, and it was basically one of the only dating businesses that didn't have recurring billing. So for us, that was, a, you know, doing, doing that actual billing change essentially that we could do on day one, just, just turn the business around. So I, I mean, we we grew that business by um, like eighteen hundred percent in in about two years, and we've done a lot of clever and smart things. But I must admit, the thing that <laughs> the thing that really kickstarted it was was actually just turning on recurring billing, adjusting pricing, adding a bit more value in, putting a bit more focus onto what what people get from from the business and and you know what value they actually want, and then that really set us on the course to to, to, to make the other changes. That's really interesting. So I've understood there how you've applied your entrepreneurial skills to turn that business around, make money, grow the business. But the the missing piece for me then is the technical aspect of this. So going into that dating business, had you or James had any technical experience in building, managing, developing websites or software? Because I imagine that's important or is that the part that you delegated? It's, it's absolutely important, and I know a lot of amazing founders that haven't got started because they they don't know tech or they don't yeah. have a tech co-founder. And you know, most investors, probably rightly so, won't invest in a team unless there's a co-founder, technical co-founder. But no, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't. We're like James and I weren't developers. James is definitely more technical than I am. So he's, um, you know, he's a product manager by trade, and and he's, uh, you know, he, he he's he can understand technology to run a good dev team and he is a designer. So he understands the, the, the fundamentals of how a product should be and how it could work. Mm-hmm. But in terms of actually doing that work, um, yeah, that, that was all, that was all outsourced and did or, you, start- or, you know, or, or hired. Yeah. And that can be a really difficult thing. Uh, again, I've spoken to entrepreneurs on the podcast and just colleagues and peers in the past about that process that, you know, you can be a great marketer, you can have that entrepreneurial spirit or experience, but to then mm. bring it to life and brief in a consultant or outsource the actual build can be that big challenge that gets in the way of people taking that next step. Um, um, was, was it a nervy time for you or was there anything from that? I've forgotten the name of the um, the kind of course or scheme that you talked about back in 2011, but was there anything that you learned from there that helped you in really taking the leap and outsourcing that work? Yeah, I think I think I mean what we learned in that course was just that things are doable and and right. you're never far from being able to figure out how to do stuff you don't know. 
Mm-hmm. Um, as loads as that's a, that's a really <laughs> I've really simplified it. There was loads of really great specific <laughs> stuff on there as well, of course. Um, but also, I think I think one thing that uh, and, and and I must just take myself out of Scott. I, I'm I'm not being an easy guest to interview here because I know I'm being quite high level and ambiguous. So, no, so I, I really like your challenges of getting more specific <laughs> to stuff. Um, one thing that underpins absolutely everything across what we do is we are we remove ambiguity from everything that where ambiguity can be removed Mm. and we are very process driven and we're very structured in our thinking and we basically focus on how we can free up as much of our headset as possible in order to work out the highly uh, highly ambiguous difficult like challenging unknowns and as soon as we figure out how something can work or should work it's documented it's systematized it's delegated it goes into a process now that doesn't necessarily mean that what we the the first thing that we discover is the best way of of doing something so so you know that whether that be a technical thing or whether that be actually how we execute on a on an ads campaign or whatever but it does mean that we've done that thinking once, we've documented it, and that can then be easily replicated and and repeated and picked up by somebody else that's not our headset and, and, and repeated again and again and again. And then our head is entirely free to then think about either the next challenge and the next problem or, of course, the next iteration of that problem. And and the reason why we run or we started Waybook.com is because it is that absolute is that absolute focus on figuring stuff out and then getting your business out of your brain, documenting, systematizing, getting that into a structure that is easily disseminated between your team that that you know can kind of keep all of your, your team members up to date and on the same page so they can execute on on the way things are done rather constantly spending that time figuring out how things should be done that for us is the secret source as to why we've been able to 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 move quickly between different things and have the confidence even at the early stage to uh you know have the trust and move forward removing ambiguity Mm. getting your business out of your brain that's perfect dad copy by the way that's uh yeah um (laughs) So, Coming soon to an ad near you. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I mean, really, uh, as we talk through this podcast, I'm sure it's going to culminate in kind of the story. Ultimately, we're going to end up on the story of how waybook.com was born. I can see how that's uh, happening but and how that happened. Um, going back to the, the dating site and the early growth of that, so I, I've kind of got, got a good understanding now of the idea, what you were executing, how you were delegating. Um how long was it before really you got a team involved in running that so that you and James were hand off, uh, hands off maybe to focus a little bit more on the next thing? Can you remember? Yeah, so I, I think um, we probably, so we had a period of about six months, which was a big a big chunk of our actual turnaround time um, where we didn't do a huge amount. Yeah. Um, one thing that we were really careful to, to remind ourselves of is that we, are, we weren't our customers. And we hadn't used our service. And yes, we can look at the analytics, but there was a lot of there was a lot of nuances in how our brand was and how people enjoyed it. And you know, so so actually, we just we we made slow, methodical 
changes as we really got close to our customers. Um, and the other reality within that is we were also then saving up a bit of money <laughs> so we could spend it. And, and we needed we needed confidence in, in the changes we make. You've got to remember, at, at the time, I think we were kind of 20, uh, 23, and, mm-hmm. and we basically poured all of our money into buying this 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 business. Mm-hmm. So we didn't we didn't we we didn't really have any any more to put into it, and we didn't want to take investment. So the steps we were taking, we had to have relative high conviction. Um, so so yeah, we 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 basically took the time and and, and we did these these kind of like slow these these slower changes, um, and really we 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 built the business out on um initially quite early uh, quite junior staff that that were fresh out of fresh out of university mm. and they probably first came in and answer your question they pro- probably first came in about six months after um we first started the business and that's when we started to execute on marketing channels mm. um and and they they came in as as almost like generalist marketing staff um to to kind of you know, run through the processes that we had figured out that that did work, and mm-hmm. and enable us to then work with them, but also work with other people to to find out better best practice and how we could create new things. So about six months in, and then we probably added more processes than we did people, but actually adding those processes enabled us to then grow faster without exponentially increasing our headcount. Mm, that makes sense. And did those staff become part of term partners, or did they, or were they dedicated just to the dating site? Well, yeah. I mean, it, interestingly, at, at the time, um, term partners was the dating site, right? So, so we had term partners was almost a concept. So everybody right. that came in, they they knew that you knew that was the that was the vision. They knew they were part of something. Right. Um, and I think our number, our second hire, um, Matt. He he is now the business manager for for the dating business, and he is he he also has been fundamental to the marketing foundations of Hopper, and also has supported on Waybook. So yeah, he he was uh, very much in from from day one, and has been like an amazing part of the team ever since then. Wonderful, and so you've just mentioned Hopper there, and that's the next kind of for me the next natural step in the story is. How did the idea for Hopper come about? Um, where in this journey did the idea come up? How did you start to work on it? Was that a build or an acquisition? Talk me through that. Mm, sure. So, so I mean, I sort of mentioned earlier, but we we were at a point uh, probably about eighteen months in. Um, we were growing at around fifteen percent a month, um, and we sort of realised that we there's a natural limit to where we could have taken um, the dating business or more specifically there became a point where we ended up getting less return for the investment going in um we're, we're a niche dating business so so it's very difficult to market size and at the time uh, a lot of marketing channels had actually become very difficult to execute on because dating as an industry is highly fragmented, but actually is underpinned by lots of um, uh, like networked sites, if you like. So you'll, you'll see thousands of dating sites with thousands of different brands, which are actually all exactly the same, the same site underneath, mm-hmm. which actually meant if you worked with any publication, so like FHM at the time, for example, um, they would have been a great placement for our dating business, but 
Instead of that, they would just start FHM dating because there was no, you know, they just needed to do user acquisition. Mm-hmm. So it became increasingly difficult to grow um, or to find new growth from the business. And James and I basically realized that we can still continue to grow the business at around, we, we reckoned about, about 12% growth rather than 15% growth without our time. So we then started to put more systems in place. We started to replace ourselves even more um, and start to actually almost, we, we got to the point where we're like the, the, the value of our time and also the fulfillment of our time, like what we, where we want to be spending our time is perhaps better elsewhere. Now, because we always had the term partners head on, we always did fun things as a team. So we would spend, you know, an afternoon every now and then doing an idea session and a hack day. And we'd always build little products and prototypes and things like that, just testing stuff out. And uh, one weekend, James and I were just playing around. And at this point, Instagram was becoming huge. And we thought, look, this is this is just, you know, it just overtaken Twitter. What, what year um, are we talking now? So this is 2014. Yeah. Um, and and we were like, there's got to be some stuff in here. So so we then thought, let's just look at the space. Um, one of my uh, one of my cousins and a few of our friends had quite big Instagram accounts at the time. And we thought, wouldn't it be good? This was pre-monetization if we could help people monetize their, their following. Um, so the original idea was actually a, a, an app that could enable you to, to, to follow someone in a way that gives you more advanced or early access content. So think of a personal trainer that uses it for lead gen, but then also they have another account, which is a private account that you can pay a subscription for. And, you know, you get like full workout sessions or things like that. So, so that was, that was the original thing. So we, we kind of mocked together this, this little idea and we put it in front of lots of initially people we knew and then lots of people we didn't. And they were like, yeah, that's kind of cool, but it, no, <laughs> it didn't really stick. Um, but they said, but what is difficult is it's difficult to actually manage our Instagram account. Like it's difficult to actually choose what to post and when to post it and get it on like transfer it to my phone and get it up on the platform and stuff like that and you know scheduling for social media had had been a pretty a pretty big thing but no one had really nailed it for instagram because these were lots of platforms like hootsuite and and the people that many of us know that that they were built for twitter so so they're text-based and and they had some you know they had they hadn't really worked out how to to go to the next level of you know, image and video first. So we we kind of just said, all right, let's let's build a scheduling tool for for, for Instagram. So we we mocked some stuff together, and again, because we're lean and iterative, James built me some designs um, on a PowerPoint, and I, I just went around some agencies in London and and was like, so this is Hopper. You click here, but don't click here because it's not real. You do this. You upload posts here. This is what you do, and and it was like a classic um, boot, uh, like lean iterative story agency one would say no and and i'd ask why and they'd say you know because actually this isn't the challenge for us we need we need a way of managing our team okay fine agency two would say yeah that could be good you know but but we really want this or we don't need that Uh, and then we started fine-tuning and every meeting james would just add something new or remove something from the design and we started getting to the point where people were like yeah this is good um let's do it and and actually um, the first agency we closed uh, was was the agency that ran the social media accounts for for Peaky Blinders, um, and at the time I was like a massive Peaky Blinders fan, so I thought Tommy Shelby just truly had our back in in, in that meeting. So you know they they said yeah let's do it we'll, we'll have ten accounts 
And I said, cool, just um, give me six months. <laughs> I'll, I'll, get, I'll get right back to you. So, so yeah, we, we started, we, we'd already started seeing very good signs. So we'd started building out some fundamentals uh, and we built that product, continued to then like, build our, our foundational marketing. And we, we, we launched it. We went to market. And um, yeah, Hopper, Hopper was just a utility to upload, plan, uh, and, and therefore schedule your, your Instagram posts. Um, and, and obviously, it's, it's changed a huge amount since then when, when we first launched in, in 2015. Mm. Yeah, I remember in 2015, around that time, that, that was the major problem with Instagram. It's funny, as you were talking as well, because the original idea for Hopper that you just discussed, it even though it didn't turn into uh, what you expected it to, a lot of what you said about exclusivity and membership-related content is the world we see today. You know, you have YouTube, you know, I forget what it's called, like YouTube memberships and Patreon, uh, all of mm. those different things. And uh, it's like every single, uh, even Twitch, you know that all of these platforms have membership exclusive features. So actually, the yeah. idea back then was ahead of its time, and you know you, you could see what the future was going to become. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, it's definitely interesting. And, and actually, one one thing I because if you think about these content creators as like micro businesses and, mm. and, and entrepreneurs, like we, we we like the idea of actually enabling people to to you know build a business and and mm. therefore fund their their passions and interests about creating content that's genuinely interesting so they can invest more into it. And then obviously, yeah, like the influencer space has exploded. It's, it's all exploded. And, and, but I think just you could, you could see it and feel it there on, on at the platform that actually there were so many amazing people, content creators that were doing this as passion projects. So you almost, they almost needed, it almost needed to become something in order for that level of creativity to, to continue. Hmm. And, uh, with Hopper, similar questions as to those that I asked before. So uh, maybe, um, so just if I've understood it correctly, the actual MVP of the product wasn't built as you were pitching it. You built it, uh, sorry, you built it after you started to get um, the idea validated from agencies. Is that correct? Yeah, and, and even yeah. more so than that. It's not, uh, yeah, the validation wasn't, yeah, we might buy this. It was mm. like, we yes, will, yeah. we, we will have eight accounts or whatever. And, and so, yeah, absolutely. And that is the best practice here, right? Well, from, from our perspective, particularly as a bootstrap startup, because at that time we're saying, cool, Hopper's pro- oh, sorry, um, our dating business is profitable. It's growing. But for us to take one pound from the dating business, we need to have as much conviction or, or near enough conviction that that can go to some value. Um, uh, then, then what we can get, back from it in, in growing the dating business. So mm. it was actually that level of discipline. And, and I do truly believe that it's because we've remained bootstrapped that we've been able to, to stay closer to having the real value-based conversations. I think you see some amazing businesses that, that almost lose their, their focus on providing value to customers because they just actually have too much cash to spend and, and, mm. they, and they can go wide. And of course, often, not quite often, that ends up in building amazing things that would never work from the bootstrap lean perspective but mm. but for, for us like that that just wasn't wasn't the way at the time yeah interesting and um where was i in my i was kind of piecing together the journey for myself and oh and did you outsource the build of the product again for hopper as you did previously with the age uh, the dating agency site interestingly yeah so we, so we did have developers then at that point yep. because obviously of the dating business we um we actually originally did outsource the initial MVP. 
Um, and we did that because we still had a very small tech team and we didn't want um, Hopper to be a total distraction to the dating business. So, mm-hmm. so we outsourced the initial, initial MVP, but um, those outsourced people then became our team. So um, what, one, of our, one of our colleagues, Stan, he, he's been involved since day one. So uh, he's been you know, doing, doing Hopper since then. And uh, also Dan uh, was very, very early on in, in 2015. And he was originally as a contractor. And, and now he's, he's like, like chief technologist with us. So, um, so yeah, it, it was external, but it was a mix. It wasn't necessarily agency. It was um, you know, some, some contracts and freelance and, and, and then they've rolled in. Yeah. And at what point, because you talked there about it originally being a product, maybe exclusively for agencies, but I assume there was a, a pivotal point in which you opened that up as a SaaS product. Can you remember how far into the journey that was? Well, yeah. So, so even though it's for agencies, it was always going to be SaaS. So, right. so the model was always software as a service, but, the, but, um, it was actually easier for us to get the validation from agencies just because it was, it was, you know, I, I could, I could easily get the meetings to walk into an agency in London and it was a target market that, that we could kind of see and, 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 and do, you know, um, and, and actually I felt like because, I think it's harder to sell to an agency than it is to a, a, a tiny business that in order for us to have more conviction, if, if an agency would agree and get it over the line, then, then perhaps a smaller business would be good. And, and the other, the other thing when, when one thing we knew that actually, if we provided more value to bigger businesses, then our, then our ticket price could be higher. And, and obviously that, that means we could move faster. So it was originally always going to be SaaS. Originally we were talking to agencies, but honestly, our, our, our it just it just sort of exploded i think it was it was a it was so poignant at the time that people really wanted scheduling for for uh, instagram that it didn't matter if you were an agency or not if you if you found out about hopper you'd probably you'd probably give it a go um mm. so so it quickly became our focused marketing quickly became unfocused marketing by demand uh, and as as many marketers listening here that's that's sort of sounds great but also has a, a whole world of its own problems as well because because without that focus it's difficult to, to really go deeper and really get the numbers that that make a massive impact mm. and are the our hopper and our uh, and is the dating website is that still under the turn partners umbrella full ownership today uh within turn partners yeah that's right yeah yeah so it's all 100 owned. we actually um, interestingly, we, we had an offer to, to acquire our dating business um, years ago now, and that was always that was always the original plan. We were going to yeah. buy and turn around businesses, um, and then we had an offer, and it it, it was a, it was a very good offer. It would have would have been a life changing life changing deal, um, and but it just wasn't it, it didn't meet our expectations at the time. So we kind of just said, no, it doesn't meet our expectations at the time. We weren't too fussed about selling. And then actually the, the M&A market, the merchant acquisition market in dating just totally dive bombed after that um, just because it, you know, the, the space changed and, and it, the consolidation changed. So actually for, for a few years, I did secretly have in the back of my head, damn, we could have, we could have sold, we could have sold the business then. <laughs> um, but obviously when you're selling a business, it's largely done, a profitable business, it's largely done on as a multiple of, of EBITDA or of your profit. <laughs> And, and we were looking at about four, four and a half times EBITDA. So 
fast forward four years after we turned down that that acquisition deal, we had then made the same amount of money as we would have done if we'd have right. sold the sold the business and we still own the business. And it's amazing, Scott, how quickly your your internal narrative can go from oh yeah, maybe we should have sold to I am a strategic <laughs> genius. Yeah. Of course, of course we would have never have sold four years ago. So so yeah, the, the hindsight of that has been has been fantastic. But also that's been a good lesson for us in terms of as long as we as long as we still love the businesses that we're running, as long as the the teams are still working, I, I'm not gonna lie that the, the the splitting of heads headspace between the businesses mm. does does have challenges. But again, having that focus on um on systems, on processes and having the right people in the right places has has been has enabled us to kind of hold it together up up until now at least and we'll see <laughs> we'll see how it continues to scale. Well, well, systems and processes leads us nicely to wagebook.com, the kind of final piece of this puzzle in this kind of story so far, at least. There's a lot, I'm sure, in between that we'll talk about. But just take me through them, Waybook. So very similarly, um, when did that start to come up as an idea? Uh, and what was the process in getting that product off the ground? Sure, yeah. So I think I think by, by now we had... We had a, a distributed team. We had a, a, a semi-remote structure, so a couple of offices, but most people kind of in and around different locations. Um, we had functions that worked between the businesses. So our, we have one head of um, customer success that works between a couple of the businesses, but then you know we had different customer success execs in in the businesses. We we we, we had like an interesting structure that was sort of held together by. A series of docs and a series of, you know, systems and all sorts, mm. and 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 there was a point where James and I were very happy with that structure, but as we continued to grow and we continued to scale, we sort of realised that every time you add about, I don't know, two or three people, everything sort of falls over, right? <laughs> everything sort of the way you communicate, what you do, how you like transact everything sort of needs to change and even though the individual processes stay the same just simple things like giving the right person access to the right document or making sure that they've they've like read it and understood it and and can internalize it and can execute it particularly when you're on different time zones or particularly when you're not you're not face to face and then also we started to feel these slight growing pains of we perhaps you know weren't certain that we gave everyone the right level of context from like a knowledge or an understanding um, in order to truly be firstly brought into the culture and aligned to the culture and contributing to the culture. But secondly, really understanding what they do and how that matters to, 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 you know, everything we do from either a very specific execution point of view or from a more generalized, I'm, I'm part of this business point of view. And we started to realize that even though we were quite proud of our series of Google Docs and various different systems that stitched together, that, that there was holes there. And there was one point for me where I'd had a, a conversation with one of our marketing team that I hadn't, I hadn't actually spent a huge amount of time with. There were a couple of months in and they were working with someone else. And they were just explaining to me what they were doing. We were just having a general chat. And I realized that my level of understanding of what I thought was happening and actually what was happening as that additional layer went in 
was so fundamentally flawed. It's like the the gap between expectation and reality. It just mm. it just wasn't it just wasn't as aligned as what I thought it was. And and actually, that's because you know the knowledge had changed since we've done these original docs and the the. the People had picked up and done slight different adjustments, and some people had left, and their docs had got disappeared into into their Google Drive accounts or their Dropbox and things like that. And we thought, damn, there has to be a better way to to bring all of this together. Um, and and also, we'd heard that a lot of a lot of people's time had just, and we'd felt it as well, just been totally consumed by the same the same questions. Mm. little things like where are the logo files which which is fine to ask but actually when there's five people asking the same person that multiple times that 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 can be half an hour of your time sending logo files links you know so so we we sort of we sort of had an inkling that that we needed to be better even though everything we'd done like the concept of documenting had actually got us so far we felt like there, there wasn't a system around it in order for us to in order for us to really really scale this business and really truly believe that the dating business can work whilst we're working on something else and actually the marketing team within Hopper can work whilst we're we're looking at something else even within that business so that, so that was basically the, the 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 seed for waybook and we started we started looking in the space and 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 fortunately got some amazing friends that that run some really phenomenal businesses and and it's something we heard time and time again not everyone had been so um so so kind of strict with their documentation so they just Mm -hmm. wanted to get you know document their business so so they could pass it on to other people not not everybody had you know the, the the ability to look at the levels of docs that they had so they can iterate the process and then free up their mind to work on the business so so we knew that the the problem was validated at least. So then we just went through similar similar sort of situations as we did with Hopper and we started just sketching out, okay, so what what do you need in order to really be able to, you know, be comfortable and excited growing your, your business? And then also to their teams, we, we asked the question, what, what do you need in order to be excellent at your job? Managers would say they needed to, they needed to, consistency of communication and new joiners would say they just needed you know kind of access and support at all times so so waybook is essentially essentially grew up to be this seemingly simple yet phenomenally powerful product that enables you know whether that be founders or senior leaders or anyone within your organization to just document all of your systems your knowledge and your processes in a way that doesn't feel like you're documenting your knowledge systems and processes because it sounds boring right but <laughs> but in a way that actually it's quite a therapeutic process saying okay here are here are the five things we need to do i remember documenting my first process to onboard somebody in in waybook when it was built as a product and i was laughing like a maniac because i'm thinking i am never going to have to repeat this like this answer again like this knowledge is here for everybody now and everyone's going to have access so it enables teams to document their knowledge systems and processes, but crucially, that then becomes really high-impacting onboarding and training material. So you get a new joiner within your business, you add them to your waybook, and instantly they have access to all of the content you want them to have. And they can just work through that content as on as an onboarding process. They can they can get the company background, they can see the videos from you, they can 
search for the logo files if they need the logo files, you know, all, all of these things that actually took up a lot of time and, and had a lot of inconsistency as you grow in your team, it's out of the box. It's it's in front of your it's in front of your your team. So yeah, we, we built an early version of it and, and some of our kind of friends and then also obviously we, we can put this in front of Hopper customers. So so other customers jumped on and, and yeah, I mean just the, the feedback we were getting from it was just absolutely phenomenal. So it enabled us to really, really go double down on, on the product. And I must say we this is where perhaps as a group we've become slightly less lean because we we invested very very heavily in the product mm. because we have so much conviction on the problem from our own experiences but also the the, the use cases from our from our early adopters so thinking all that through um so how long's uh, waybook.com been in operation now um so so yeah Way, waybook's kind of been around for about two years now i mean because because really it was it was born out and um, like the very, very early version has been about two years, but really the version that's been in, in front of people and, and people have been signing up and all sorts is, is probably uh, about about 14 months, about a year and a half. And right at the beginning of the podcast, you had noted that you have a semi-remote team based all around the world. So as we talk today, under that turn partners umbrella, how many workers have you got working across these various projects? Yeah, so this this is one of the this is one of the amazing things. So our team is still pretty pretty tiny and pretty small. So we're, we're twenty seven full time, but we have a lot of people that work on very specific things in very specific areas. Hmm. And and we we sort of we sort of pride ourselves on the fact that we're able to uh, to kind of keep lean and and keep focused on on what we do. And and that is because of the process, you know, that is because of the automation where possible and, and continue to focus on value. So, yeah, in terms of full time employed, we're, we're 27 at the moment. But then we also have, um, you know, customer service execs and uh, people that run events for us and lots of different bits that, that aren't included in that core um, so, so yeah, the, the, the term partners, the term partners crew, if you like, is, is much wider, but the, but the initial is 27. And I'm interested to know the skills and characteristics of the members of your team or just your advice in general to people that are interested in building their own startup studio or perhaps the people that are thinking about applying for a role at a startup studio, something that you've described today. What are the skills and characteristics that you think are yeah, required to really succeed in that type of environment? Yeah, I think, um, I think this, there's this curiosity that's really really important to, to not necessarily solve the problem that's in front of you, but it's more to understand that in every single interaction, there could be multiple problems, multiple solutions, but also multiple connections to things that already exist. Hmm. And I think really the skills uh, or, 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 or the, the, the structure that I think works really well for a startup studio is actually a mix of skills. Hmm. So I, I'm, I'm actually probably... Well, I am definitely one of the few people that works across all the businesses, and and actually that that only works because there's other people that work exclusively in the other businesses. So from a from a startup studio perspective, if if you're in the kind of core centralized team, then I think that curiosity and and real you know real thirst for 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 building, if you like, is it has to be there. 
But also I think that also comes with the humility that actually you don't always know the best way to do things and having the ability to to accept where other people can either do it better or more efficiently than you and, and knowing when to, you know, how far to push something before it actually becomes significantly better in someone else's, in someone else's hands. Mm. And then I think, I think the, the challenge that you face within this is, is you're constantly um, fighting the balance or, or from an individual perspective, you're constantly fighting the balance of, of breadth versus depth. And, you know, on, on today, for example, Straight, straight after this, I'm, I'm speaking with um, uh, our, our business manager at the dating business, and I've also been on interviews for for we have loads of roles open at the moment. So I'm on interviews for both Hopper and also Waybook, and and actually that that breadth is uh, comes at the cost of depth on some of the stuff. So so I feel like you just need to almost manage your energies and manage your your focus um, in a way that keeps the right level of momentum. Now there isn't, there isn't a formula for that because different people can manage different things. And I think from my position, it's important to recognize that some people can't be broad and some people don't want to be deep. So, so it, so it's more about really finding out how people work best. The other, the other challenge from a commercial perspective is actually just the, the, the resource allocation across. Now we, we, Everything, everything is a separate business, right? So, so the, the dating site and Hopper and Waybook, and and, and also we, we have quite a lot of investments that we've accrued over over the years as well. They're all separate entities, but they're all owned by town partners. And um, because the dating business is 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 smaller than than you know all of the other businesses, every business that we've started has become bigger and bigger. You you almost face the difficult challenge of how you continue to invest your resource, both your time, your energy and your finance into, into the dating business when actually it might seem on the face of it that you can just put more fuel on the fire on, on one of the other businesses. And, that, and that's a strategic difficulty that, that mm. is, you, you kind of have to ask yourself all of the time. But what is wonderful about it and, and, and what I would never, you know, what, one of the main benefits is that, we all we all speak. So every, every business has its own individual kind of catch ups, meetings, sprints, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But we all then have you know a, a lunch call on a Wednesday and a download on a Friday, and, and these are like time zone adjusted. But but it just means that actually the win from one business is genuinely celebrated across the whole group. And yeah. and sometimes you can be doing something in a business that feels maybe a little bit monotonous, but you know that the purpose of doing that is because we're part of something. Um, really special actually and and we're, we're part of a team that is really passionate about building really valuable products to, to enable people to grow their businesses and and I, and I think I think the more people working across broader things that that have a level of connection actually enable us to uh, you know to have more surface area for uh, for, for, for celebration and for fulfillment. Wonderful. I think that's a great way to close out our podcast because I know we're coming towards the end of our time together. So uh, it's a topic that I could talk about a lot. Uh, I'm a fascinating journey that you've been on there and that you're still on with Waybook. And actually, just as a final closing question for you to close out the episode, you Mm. talked about you talked about curiosity there. I know you're relatively early on in that journey with Waybook.com, but what kind of uh, problems or businesses are you interested in maybe in the back of your mind? What kind of pain points do you see for entrepreneurs or marketers 
that maybe you think need solving? Is there anything that you're working on behind the scenes at the moment, or is your focus very much still on waybook.com and growing that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, my my focus and, and energy is 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 Waybook at the moment. That's that's yeah. where we're super. You know, that that's where we see the future. That's where we're super excited. That's where we're seeing. You know, I, I, it's, it's actually the first business where we've, where we've been working largely with the founders and CEOs of businesses. So, so, I mean, if, if, if you jump on a demo on, on Waybook, then you'll, you'll be given to one of the team, but I'm also on, on a lot of those calls just because I geek out on talking about <laughs> people's businesses with people. Um, so, so that's where a lot of my focus is. But I, I think that areas that I find interesting are, are this future of work. I think in the last two years, we've gone through the most fundamental shift of how we work, but crucially why we work and what we, mm. what we've had in the last 10. And, and, you know, you, you see even bigger corporates that were resistant to change and embracing technology have had to take, to take that on. We've seen, we've seen displacements uh, or, or, or people moving from cities to, to different areas. And I feel like, I feel like this period of flux is only just beginning. So the future of work, but also the future of how work and life work together is is really important. One area that we, we love a lot and we've actually invested in, in quite a few businesses in the space is, is in the, the mental health space within within work. Um, and that's something that we're really passionate about because where where everybody has their, their own mental health, um, in in a workplace, you know, in an office, that you, you can you can construct at least a shared physical experience. Whereas when people are working from home or working remotely, it's extraordinarily difficult to really empathise on what your team and what your colleagues are going through when when they're in just a, you only see a little square around their head. So so we're we're, we're very we're very interested and very excited into that space uh, and believe that there's a lot of opportunities, but also necessity for for innovation within that. Anything to do with future of work, anything to do with future of uh, future of living in different locations is, is what we're super excited about and seeing, you know, there's going to be big change. Yeah. And there's so, there are so many parallels between the, you just said, the, the working future and your approach to work at a startup studio. Basically, you have the perfect environment to tap into this kind of fluid and iterative future, the, the way in which things are changing. Um, so it's an exciting place to be you, I imagine. It's, it's an exciting place to be at if you're at Term Partners. Um, I wish you all the best with all of those businesses. Like I said, it's been a really interesting discussion. Before I let you go, though, do you want to let our listeners know where they can find out more about you and all of those businesses under the umbrella of Term Partners? Absolutely, yeah. Thank you so much. Th- thanks for thanks for having me on. Um, I, I I mentioned halfway through, but you uh, you did an excellent job of keeping keeping me to some sort of narrative, which is not always the easiest thing, I admit. So, um, yeah, I, I I mentioned earlier, I geek out on talking to founders and talking to people about scaling their businesses or wherever they are. So I'd love people to get in touch. Um, you, you can contact me on on Twitter at Mike Bander. Um, also. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn probably probably more than more than anything else. Um, and then you can find out about the businesses at either termpartners.com to kind of see a little bit about everything. Or, or the real one is um, if you wanted to, to jump onto waybook.com. That's where that's where all of the excitement's happening within, uh, particularly in my days at the moment. That's where that's where I'll see, you, you'll often find me on on the calls and, and on the video comment there as well. Wonderful. Listeners, uh, links to everything that we've discussed today will be in the show notes. And for now, Mike, I'll say thank you very much for your time. 
This has been the Internet Marketing Podcast. Take care. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.